Guys, 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 guys. It happened. Uh, what's it exactly? Um, I'll tell you. You guys know what's going on with me. Money problems. Money problems, girl. Oh, these motherfucking problems made from money. You see, all these money problems, bitch, I'll punch you in the nose. But that's how it goes. Um, yeah, so my car has been in tow. This Wednesday, it will have been in the impound for four weeks, right? Now, you can't just leave it there. And, of course, they charge you per every single day that it's been sitting there. So there's the uh, gigantic uh, starter fee of they just took it, which is like, what? I don't know, somewhere between two to $500, depending on how they feel that day. And then I came to find out that they charge you $40 a day that's been sitting there. So Monday today um, is the day I'm going to get my car. And it's going to cost just to get it out of impound $1,366. Now, some of you have been kind enough to send me donations Holy fucking shit. I didn't know until I got these donations. I really have problems with uh, asking for help. (laughs) It's funny how much I'll talk about this shit. But when people are like, you know, I can help you fix that. I'm like, whoa, get out of here. So some of you sent me some donations. And uh, I really, really fucking appreciate that. And, um... I'm going to use that for things like food and bills. And, uh, of course, it goes to uh, just the the general Baron Von Fund. Because right now with the uh, car situation and the uh, um, lawsuit situation, I'm kind of like, I don't know where this money's coming from. But, um, and then also... How am I going to pay my bills and do a little thing called eating at the same time? Anyway, point is, my mom nothing is wrong with your stereo. I'm taking a big pause because this hurts to say my mom is lending me this money money she doesn't really have to lend she has this van uh, that was a present from my stepfather's mother step grandmother I guess that's what that is and my mom didn't want it she didn't want this van. She's like, we already have cars. I already am paying insurance and car payments, and I, I, I don't need, I don't want the extra expense of having to register this thing and to pay for insurance. Blah 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 blah. Right? And of course, our grandmother insisted and insisted. So my mom's like, fine, yeah, I'll take it. I guess. Thanks. But what it is is a van, a very nice van, 
that is paid for in full. There are no payments on this van that need to be made. And so my mother has leveraged this van to get a loan. And she's a poor person, so of course they give her this money with ridiculous fucking rules. Just not good terms. Um, and she borrowed this money to give to me, and I have six months to pay her back. She has six months to pay this loan back. And the interest rates and the fucking penalties are just shit. Just shit. Uh, and it's like one of those like desperation loans. It's like, so she put up her car uh, as collateral for money to give to me to get my car out of the impound because her name is also on this car. My car is a lease. I don't own it. It is a leased car. If a car is sitting in impound for, I don't know, I think it's supposed to be two months. It might be six weeks, which I'm close to, or I'm halfway to two months. They sell it. You amass amount of charges that are like, well, this person is obviously not coming to get it because it's too expensive, so let's fucking sell it. But they can't sell the car because it's not mined for them to sell. So it would be a repossession. And uh, my credit score already starts with a three. <laughs> oh, so a repossession is a giant mark that... I won't even be able to think about recovering from until I'm 40. And my mom's fucking name is on this thing. So her reasoning is I'm going to borrow this money because you need to get this thing out because my name's on it too. So I guess for me, I look at it as a double letdown that you know, I'm 30 fucking two. My mom had to sign on a car. There is trust there. And in essence, the fact that I've gotten into all this trouble with this car in the first place is me letting her down. And the fact that she has to extend herself to help me get out of this fucking jam is me letting her down. Now, my logic here is not good. It's emotional logic. But I just, uh, I guess the thing is when I make bad choices, I'm not hurting anyone else but myself. And I'm okay with that. Who's going to suffer? Me. I'm me. <laughs> I'm the only one that's going to have to deal with that. But then, of course, when other people's situation is on the line or their their word, their credit, their whatever, is when I, uh, I feel really, uh, really, really guilty. And um, then my actions, I've taught myself to accept that I'm fucking shit up. And uh, I don't uh, have the skill set to do things well. Thus, when that affects others, 
negatively, when it's like not just me that's getting hurt or suffering from my actions, it's uh, very hard to to take. It's a tough pill. But again, I know my logic is flawed here. And I'm trying to look at it as my mother is helping me get my car back. That is going to enable me to, well, first of all, have my fucking car so that way I can get from place to place, from show to show, to be able to sell my wares as a performer, as an actor, to be able to earn the money, to fix all this shit, to be able to give her the money, to pay her back. Etc. Etc. Point is, I'm getting my car back. And I need to stop beating myself up about what my mom is doing to help me. I should be like, she is helping me. I should be, the people who sent me donations, you guys are helping me. You are extending yourself to me as a sign and show of kindness and thoughtfulness and I need to not take those things as signifiers that I'm sort of I'm some sort of disappointment slash failure right and that's how I am taking it I know not to but that's that's where it goes in me well I am really incapable (laughs) As a as a rule, I am incapable and need help. And thus, when people give me help, I'm like, oh, must be right. Totally incapable. And that is not a good way to see it. And thank you, Mike Kaplan, who called me the other day and said some nice things about my half hour and said these problems are external. They can be and will be fixed and will go away as opposed to the internal problems that you struggle with forever. And of course, these external problems are uh, when you're not feeling good about what's going on around you, the shit inside of you spreads like the, the sinister thoughts, the evil ones, like weeds in a garden that you thought you plucked out suddenly blossom and just take shit over. And you're like, what? I got those weeds out of here. But then you got to get on your fucking hands and knees and pluck the shit out and cultivate and manicure your garden. I live a good life. I have to remember that. I'm living a good life. I live in fucking the United States of America. What is more comfortable than this? So, get over it, me. Fucking buck up, this guy. Today's guest is Benari Poulton, my good, good friend, who you've heard before talk at length about justice. There's a little movie called Man of Steel. It's been out for a while now. And uh, I saw it a little late. I saw it with Dan Telfer, who I'm also going to talk about that movie with. But I, I wanted to extend it more to the idea of heroes. That... We need examples to live by. We need people to to inspire us and for us to strive to be like 
you know, we live by example. And so a hero is a is an example to live by. And one of the most famous, most recognizable heroes in the last century was a guy who was the creation of Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster called Superman. And America has had a really long relationship with Superman. And in my opinion, um, Superman constantly shows us what we think about ourselves. He is the, uh, the mirror to nature that whatever we're looking for and, uh, in Superman, whatever we need from Superman shows us in that time what our priorities are. Shows us our priorities at that time that we're looking at Superman. What do I want from Superman? What do I believe now? I need Superman to reflect that. And I think that Man of Steel reflects some really interesting shit. And uh, I've been talking about it a lot. It'll come up again on some other podcasts because this podcast with Benari, uh, the things that we were talking about, left a good imprint on me. Um, there are some other podcasts that have been talking about it. Uh, on the All Things Comedy Network, Comedy Film Nerds has a great podcast about Man of Steel with really interesting points that I think uh, reflect what uh, we talk about in this podcast as well. Um, another podcast, um, Will Anderson's podcast, um, Top Up or Fuff Up, <laughs> which I did, by the way, Top Up. T-O-F-O-P. Go check out that podcast. It's Will Anderson's. I had a good conversation with him uh, about black comedy and stuff like that. Things that you may have heard before, but I'm doing it all in one place. And he also had some interesting questions and insights to provide himself. Um, but he had a podcast with Dave Anthony of Walking the Room, in which they talked about Man of Steel. So, speaking of which, All Things Comedy Network, check out all the podcasts. I just mentioned Walk Walking the Room and... Uh, comedy film nerds which are two of my favorites um why don't you take a chance on life check out something like the dork forest with jackie cation who's been a guest on my podcast a couple different times uh check out the champs the champs uh with neil brennan and moshe kasher check out uh minivan men right al madrigal maz joe brawny chris spencer right why don't you check out the bone zone right Come on, why don't you check out Jake This with Jake Johansson, arguably one of the great uh, stand-ups, you know, and one of the best working stand-ups today, okay? Um, yeah, so do that. And uh, this podcast is also brought to you by TiVo. And uh, I'll air my little TiVo commercial in the break. Oh, that's another thing. Totally fucked up the sound stuff. Luckily, I recorded Benari and I in two parts. So the first part's going to sound great. Second part, I forgot to hit the, the on button on my little device that I use to talk through microphones. And um, so it's just going to sound like two guys in a room talking. And that's what it is. But it's, it's going to sound ambient. So I apologize for the sound quality on that second part. But the ideas are still great. Anyway, guys. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to do uh, an outro. This has been a long-ass intro. So it's just going to end. Bye.
Because it is the most important thing ever to happen. I don't know that's the most important thing <laughs> to happen, but here's what I said to it, just based, based loosely on what you said. And when I was talking about it to other people, because, of course, everybody wants to know what I thought. Oh, what did you think? And then there's a lot of people who have absolutely no interest in seeing it. Right. And I don't know what they expect it to be, to be something kind of cutesy, to be something kind of who knows. But people are consistently surprised when I say it's incredibly dark. It's it's there's a lot of psychological drama going on. Um, and then the last 30 minutes, I felt like I was getting hit over the head with a hammer. The first thing I would say to that is well, let me, that. Well, no, I would I would agree, though, that yeah. that last half hour across the board, people who liked it, didn't like it. It's exhausting. It's that, exhausting. That last half hour feels you feel like that you, you you feel the length of the movie during that half hour. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like, whoa, like I was just, and it was, there was a point where I just was like, this is loud and it is bright and it is fast. And I don't know if I can do this anymore. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. Yeah. So here's what I, what I, when I um, was telling a few people about the movie and looping it into what you had said to me, I said, for those listening at home, for those listening at home, well, I'm going to say this first and then we're going to get back to what you said. Here's what I said because I want to because I want to see what you, what you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> big fat spoilers, guys. Just, just just turn this off if you. We're talking about Man of Steel, okay, bitches. Um, so I said that Superman reveals to America America's priorities at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happens. So when you say it's the movie that we deserve, yeah. Well, it's not the movie. I I, I it's the Superman we deserve. I, I walked out of that movie basically. With the paraphrasing The Dark Knight Okay Which was This Superman As a culture We got the Superman we deserve But not the Superman we need right now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's how I felt Because I do I agree I feel like Superman Has historically always represented The ideals that we as an American culture strive toward Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that's the American way part of it. He fights for truth, justice, and the American way. The American way being an idealized version of the best that we can be. Just like truth is in a concept and justice is a concept, the American way is its own concept. And it's it's not, you know, the American way of how it is. It's the American way that we're fighting toward the future, the best we can be, the the best we can strive toward. And I walked out of this thinking, wow, we don't think very highly of ourselves right now. Yeah, we don't think we can be better than we are, and that's that's that was my takeaway from the movie. I felt it to be a very cynical uh, take. Um, I thought it was very dark. Now, I know a lot of people who liked it, and that's fine. They that's they uh, this for me. It's not about whether it was even a good movie or a bad movie. I just was sort of bummed out by the philosophy. Behind the movie. The themes and stuff that are in the movie. What are some of these themes, Benari? Uh, well, you know, I haven't really gotten your take on it uh, either, but I thought that uh, the themes were very much that of um, that the world is a very <laughs> violent, dark place, and that 
whatever you're striving toward, it will beat you down. And you can't, <laughs> you can't rise above it. You just have to <laughs> roll with it and then live in the world as it is. Um, and as a symbol, that's, that's sort of how I, what I saw, that even Superman was basically beaten down by the most cynical uh, and brutal aspects of life. Now, not that that's not interesting and not that that's not something that's worth exploring. But after two and a half hours, I didn't find anything to cheer at uh, in this movie. And the audience that I saw it with on opening day had nothing to cheer at because no one clapped at the end of this movie, which was new to me for a Superman, for a good Superman movie. Right. Uh, it's kind of like it was like, yeah, fucking A. It was kind of like, Jesus, my head. Well, and, and as we talk, I'll probably, I, I think that it's, I think that it's impossible not to compare and contrast it with Dark Knight. Well, no, I think it's it's impossible not to compare and contrast Superman it with Returns. Superman and Superman Two, the original movies. Oh, okay, the, the Richard Donner the, movies, the Donner movie, and then uh, and then we we got to talk about Superman Returns as well. We have to talk about Superman Returns. the The biggest thing, look, I thought Cavill was was a good Superman. I mm-hmm. thought it was very well cast. Mm-hmm. I thought as a as a movie, people seem to have a problem with Amy Adams. I know. Um, I think that she wasn't used to the best of her abilities. I thought she was a. a it was a really. It's the most different Lois Lane. I, I thought it was a pretty solid take on Lois Lane. I just didn't think they did much with her once they established this take on her. Mm-hmm. She didn't. They they didn't give her a lot more to work with. Yeah, and the and the connection between Superman and Lois Lane, I felt was like really forced. Like it was like I didn't feel like it was earned. In that I sort of way. I felt. A lot of this movie was forced and mm-hmm. not earned. I got the dramatic beats they were going for, mm-hmm. but I felt like they went so far out of their way to force these characters into these specific circumstances so they would have no choice but to act in this way. And it required everyone else to make really stupid decisions. Right. And that, to me, look, David Goyer's a great writer. He's written a lot of superhero movies. Right. I for me there were a lot of lazy writer moments in this and I don't know if that's specifically his his fault or or uh, Zack Snyder or you know just that it was such a large it's budget a that, large, that, that, that there's so many there's producers a lot of cooks in that yeah, kitchen yeah if there's so many cooks in it that even might though be they the get David Goyer and Christopher Nolan to develop the story they still don't trust them yeah so I, I don't know where to to necessarily put that to put the the pin in that particular problem that i have with it but there was i had some as a writer i had some problems with some of the moments because i felt like that's just lazy like you could have you could have done that you didn't have to do that scene in that way Mm -hmm. you just wanted this to happen and so you made all these people make really dumb decisions to put themselves in that situation Mm -hmm. um for example the big climax at the end what this is. I know this is stupid, but what were those people even doing in the museum at that point? The whole city had been distri- – that's that's just lazy writing. What are you talking about? At the end when Zod's going to uh, fly oh. those people with his laser beams. Yeah, was that, they, was that a museum or was that Grand Central? Museum. It doesn't matter where they are. At, they're, they're that point, at that point, that's – the destruction that we witnessed on the scale that we witnessed it at, there's, there's no reason that that situation would actually occur like that except that they wanted it to. So that happened. Oh, they were escaping. They were just trying to stay inside. Yeah, and they weren't because but... when they crash in, everyone's just sort of milling about their business. And then, oh, no, now the fight's been taken to them, except we've just witnessed catastrophic destruction of the city. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's, it, there are details like that, that that rang false to me. 
Well, also my one of my favorite things that was at the at the very very end when he shows up to the Daily Planet. It's like, wait a minute, everyone's just back at work. How much time has elapsed here? They well, repaired all that, and that's that's the other thing it, that the amount of <laughs> the the amount of trauma that occurred at the end of that movie to have a coda mm-hmm. that has a cutesy little bow at the end where we've now established. Oh, and by the way, this is the status quo. These characters aren't dealing with what just happened because what we're left with at the end is like, and that's fine. That's just how it is. All right. Yeah. You want to go to the game? I got two tickets. It's like, what? What? A- Isn't the world different? This is the day after 9-11. What the hell is, this is going on? This is the day on? after 9-11 with aliens. <laughs> yeah. With, with B, like the whole universe just exploded, and then your city was destroyed over it. And then, yep, this is just what it is. And the guy who saved you just put on some glasses, and you guys are like, didn't we just see him? And, you know, the take on Perry White, I thought Lawrence Fishburne was, was fine. The, the problem I had with, with uh, that particular take on Perry White was he was arguing against her having an exclusive story to something that would change the world. That's a bad newspaper editor. Like, you're the editor-in-chief but that's... Of, of a newspaper that's – your whole industry is dying. And someone's handed you on a silver platter the scoop of the century, and you, your Perry White, is like, mm, this could change the world. We we can't we can't follow this. But story. that also reflects current priorities. It it's different than because it's like we're 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 looking at news as the mouthpiece of corporations more than ever. And sure. I think that the Perry White that we have seen that sure. was created in Superman exists in a time before that. Yeah, but so I, this, this Perry White is like, oh, I can't, I can't. Uh, my bosses will get mad. Well, but it was more than the bosses will get mad. Like that, it was. It would a, cause fear. It and, would cause fear. Yeah, it was a bad for me. It that that's a phony. That's a character. That's that's the most unrealistic. It's thing a Perry White with no balls. It, it's a Perry White that I'm not interested in. That Perry White. That's a that's a that's a that's a fake mouthpiece for what the writers wanted to say, not a character that would exist. In that particular world, because you're not going to be like you're not making a decision that's either financially helpful for your newspaper. You're not making a decision that's benefiting your top reporter. I'm told you're not you're not making Pulitzer Prize winning. You're not making any choice that's in the best interest of anyone, as far as I can see, except and I'm putting in quotes the greater good, maybe because people can't handle it. And there are so many decisions that were constantly being told by the people who are supposed to be the elder statesmen, the wise elder statesmen of this world, Jonathan Kent, Perry White. These are the people that are supposed to be the voice of reason and wisdom, and they're constantly telling us people can't handle this, so we better not – we better hide this from them because they can't handle and it. And Jonathan Kent dies because of it. What a cynical – what a cynical view of – It's a few good men. You the, can't handle the truth. Of the world. But that's not, that's also a world that you've created, and now you've you've said like, oh, the wisest people supposedly in this world don't think very much of humanity, <laughs> and they don't think very much of us. So why would anyone care about these people then? Why would anyone care about these people? Um, you said something once that uh, I've paraphrased, and I wanted I wanted to say it again, and let me let me throw out what I kind of remember it being, and you can tell me what is inaccurate in this. Um, sure. Basically, we'll play this game. The problem with Superman is, and you said you kind of said this, and I, I was paraphrasing it, it is that cynicism mm-hmm. that it's kind of like, uh, oh, I'm going to make a, such a such a 
theater asshole comparison. Uh, Puck, right? Sure. Midsummer Night's Dream. He's a fairy. He's got powers. Why does he care? What is his motivation? This is the question that people always bring to a Midsummer Night's Dream. But what they're doing is they are they are uh, projecting Stanislavski acting on top of it, mm-hmm. and that is that is steeped in Freudian psychology. It's a different world than the world that Shakespeare lived in, where we didn't. It wasn't. It, we just didn't think of things in that way. So when you have a, a character like Puck that is not human, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, why does he even give a shit? He's not human. And it seems to me, and I'm paraphrasing you, and I'm twisting it into my own thing, that that's why I say that like Superman reflects back to America what America is at the time. What we need out of Superman reflects to us our own priorities at the time. Sure. Okay? What we get out of Superman. So I see this. The problem is this is why Batman technically is always a better trans, is better translatable to the real world because it's a guy. It's a right. guy that happens to have a lot of money. Some shit went down, and he's got a chip on his shoulder. But if there's a guy who can fly around that's an alien, why does he give a shit? So I feel like what happens is, and I, I'm th- I think that you said this once, is we, we're trying to beat the audience over the head with reasons of why this guy might care. Because we, someone that just cares doesn't make any sense to us anymore. Right. Someone that's just going to stand up for the right thing just because, wait a minute, they don't have any personal things to gain from this action why would anyone if i had superpowers i would rob banks and fuck bitches and he's not doing that i don't get it well i mean that's that's sort of the dilemma in a nutshell Mm -hmm. is when you ask the question why does there need to be a superman you you are fundamentally uh doing a disservice to the idea of superman by asking the question, you've are you're you. That's a question that doesn't need an answer. Isn't that the article this, that Lois Lane wrote in Superman Returns? Right, but that's <laughs> that was a fundamental flaw of that movie. Right, they kept asking a question that didn't and trying to justify something that didn't need to be justified. Right. in this world, Roger Ebert said something really interesting in his review of the original Superman, the Richard Donner, mm. uh, Christopher Reeve Superman, which is that they treated Superman as a fact. The whole world that was created around it, Superman exists as a fact. And then it was everyone else reacting to what is this world with a Superman? Mm-hmm. And the best thing they ever did, the best special effect they came up with was casting Christopher Reeve. Because Christopher Reeve's Superman, you 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 don't believe it's not just that you will believe a man can fly. You believe that this thing that you would have so much trouble believing in, suddenly you believe in it. You believed in his Superman. Even though he was too good to be true. Even though this, this concept, this person, this thing should not exist. Christopher Reeve's Superman existed, and then he sold it. And by the time you were finished watching him, you believed in his Superman. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's sort of what it is. That's the, our, I guess our window into Superman is not through Superman. Our window through Superman is everyone else around him. It's a supporting cast. Right. It's how Lois Lane sees him, how Jimmy Olsen sees him, and how Perry White sees him, how Lex Luthor sees him, how Smallville sees him, how the world around him is changed by him being there, and then what he can do and how he inspires the rest of the world to react. And uh, 
when you don't treat him as a fact, and again, you know, I, I think that there are, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have an interesting dramatic arc himself. Right. And this gets into another problem with that I think that they sort of wrote themselves into. I'm fine with the lack of Clark Kent in this movie. Yeah. But after two and a half hours, you felt like you were missing something. What a what a sigh of relief when Clark Kent finally showed up at the end of this movie. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Like there was there was an element to Superman that was missing. Yeah, and I was thinking that a lot because it's like he's he's Clark. I like that that Superman is a fact, and it's like Clark Kent exists already, and we know he's there. Right. But it's just like we there was so much like we need to convince you of why Superman is in, in many ways it's Superman is is more the invention of Clark Kent who grew up and then has all these powers and what to do about it and oh Clark Kent takes on the weight of humanity he's the one who endures the bullying he's the one who who sees the worst sides of humanity mm-hmm. but it's Superman who can do something about it it's Superman who rises above all that. So in many ways, Clark Kent provides the balance to Superman. He keeps Superman grounded in the way the world actually is. And he knows people, and he trusts people. And he trusts people. And he likes people. And he likes people, and he learns about people. And this Superman, the only person that he knows is his mother. Right. Which, I like that relationship. You know, I thought that was very well done. I thought all the stuff... I thought it was an interesting take, so let me talk about the first major moment when I... Knew I was going to have a problem with this movie because, again, it looked beautiful. I love – Dude, the Krypton stuff? I love that they embraced the sci-fi aspects of Krypton and really went all out. That looked gorgeous. And like a mythology for Krypton that I've never seen before. On a kind film, of, certainly. A kind of a communist Roman <laughs> Roman society. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's uh, – well, we can, get, we can get back to this too. But um, that that aspect was terrific as a sci-fi movie it mm-hmm. was a good sci-fi movie yeah um as a superman movie different different matter different matter but anyway you're saying um, the first time you had you knew you were gonna have problems with this movie so i liked that it was a complicated take on jonathan kent who is basically a father first and was more concerned about the safety and well-being of his son and i think that's a good human take on jonathan and, and a very complex one and good casting and great casting um in Superman, Glenn Ford's Jonathan Kent, right before he dies, he's giving his son a lesson about, you know, his superpowers and how he's going to fit in. And he says to him, uh, you were sent here for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but it wasn't to score touchdowns. And then they and then he kills over of a heart attack, a natural. So it was an it's unexpected. It's an unexpected, very sudden death and it drives home the point that human beings are fragile and that they're mortal and in addition to that it's not just that Jonathan Kent dies it's that he dies in a way that Superman can't do anything about it right right it's a death that Superman can't stop despite all his great powers He's powerless to stop this. He's thing. He's powerless to stop this thing. But and also I, establishes that like John Ken, Jonathan Kent is like a good guy. He didn't know he was going to die, and he's still saying awesome things. He's saying along awesome the way. things, and it's still a you know he still has that complicated relationship. But beyond that, that that particular the way in which they did it in the original movie mm-hmm. drives home sort of Superman's 
uh, dilemma. Right. He's got all these great powers, but what good are these powers if you can't stop your dad from dying? Right. And I think that that's, you know, it, it gives him that sense of tragedy. It propels him forward. That's where he goes to find himself and, uh, and figure out what his place in the world is and all of those important things. Now, now the Man okay. of Steel. In the Man of Steel, and this is where I get into a situation was created that really made no logical sense. Number one, a tornado touches down. So Clark goes out of nowhere. To, out of nowhere, Clark goes. I mean, to, it is Ohio, but it's fine. I mean, Kansas. It's I mean Kansas, but fine. Clark goes to save a dog, which should not be a big deal. And his father stops Clark from saving a dog. Okay, that doesn't really make any logical sense. Why, an, at this point, a much older Jonathan Kent would stop his, you know, young healthy son, regardless if he has superpowers, from saving a dog. But he does that. So then Clark is there. With his mom watching Jonathan hurt himself as a tornado bears down on him in a town, by the way, which has already witnessed Clark Kent do amazing, miraculous, superhuman feats. So at this point, what does it matter if he shows them one more miraculous, superhuman feat? This town has already witnessed him like save a bus of people. And it's he, already a legend. He's already a legend. He's ar- yeah. People, people are already talking about it. It's, it's a thing. He's already well known in this town for doing these things. So what's one more? What's one more thing? And then Jonathan waves his son off. Now, again, I get what they're going for. So then, so then Clark has to watch his father die in a tornado so that people in Smallville don't freak out. Yeah. Okay. So I get that it's supposed to be a moment between the father and son when Clark trusts his father and abides by his father's wishes and gives him it gives him a little bit of tragedy and all these sorts of things. But let's unpack this logically. What Jonathan's saying is it's way better for you and your mom to witness me dying in front of your eyes while you stand by and don't do anything to stop it than it is for you to do something. Ugh. That's a cruel way to teach a lesson. <laughs> oh, and by the way, live with that guilt for the rest of your life. All right, I'm out of here. Tornado. I, You're going to wander the earth like, uh, like Bruce Banner. Yeah, deal with that. Your death, I'm putting my death on your shoulders because you're never going to get over this trauma. Um... Incredibly traumatic. And how does that make any logical sense either? And that's what, like a very dark psychological thing. Like, what? Right. So regardless if that situation even made logical sense, which it really doesn't, Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan's decision as a, as a father, as a husband, as a person, that shows – I don't know. I, I just found it to be cruel to the people he loved or supposedly loved. That's a cruel thing to do to those people. Um, and again, I get it. They want to teach a lesson, but that's just, that's just mean, man. That's just mean. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to the Donner version. Well, as opposed to the the Donner version, but it just as opposed to Jonathan's death being something that Superman can't stop. Now, Superman had to make a conscious choice not to save his father. Right. And do nothing. And then deal with that. And not just that he did nothing and has to deal with it. His father tells him, don't save me. 
People aren't ready for your powers, bro. People are going to freak out, even though they've seen you use them. But you know what's not going to freak them out? Watching me die in yeah. a tornado. And watching you watch me die in a tornado. Like, wouldn't the town at this point be like, hey, why didn't Clark... He's, remember when he saved that bus? Yeah. Why didn't he save why his didn't dad? He, what a hey, dick. Clark, why did you even let your dad go save that dog? No, everyone's so afraid to talk to him. <laughs> that's... I don't know. That's... It's just... That's fucked up, man. <laughs> wow. It's like everyone's going to think he's a dick instead of like... Yeah, that's way better. That's way better. That's way better. Yeah, now your mom's a widow. Uh, Good job. Good job. <laughs> and that was really super, man. It's really super, super. <laughs> yeah, Superman's name is very ironic in this movie. Mm-hmm. Superman. Yeah, Superman. So that's the thing that, that was sort of troubling. That was the first... That was where you're like, okay... Yeah, because honestly, I was on board with the movie right up until that moment. And I mean, I'm like, first off, what a ridiculous death scene. But then that that choice and that everything about that made no logical sense to me. I didn't understand why that was a good. I don't even know why that's a good lesson for Jonathan to impart to his son. That's a fucked up lesson. It's a cruel way to teach the lesson. And then what does he say to Lois Lane? Because he says, I watched my father die because. <laughs> yeah, he was afraid that people he was wouldn't... afraid that people weren't ready for me. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah. And then the answer, by the way, was, no, people aren't ready for you. And then she's going <laughs> to, she denies the story. She kills the story. Right, and Perry's like, you're doing the right thing. And then Perry's like, yeah, absolutely, people are not ready for this. I don't care how many people have to die, but no one is ready for Superman. Meanwhile, the infamous badass Michael Shannon. Okay, so then Michael Shannon. Meanwhile. On. Meanwhile. In, in the, the Phantom Zone. In the Hall of Injustice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Michael Shannon's Zod. He was a good Zod. Uh, no one was having fun in this movie. There was, there were, you know, at the end of the movie when, when you finally got that, it was an okay laugh line. They're like, I just think he's hot. You know that? Yeah. I think people laughed at that line harder than they should have because they were just waiting for something to Some laugh at. Some sort of fucking just release. Please lighten the mood a little bit. Right. There was a, there was a moment that Dan Telfer, I, w- I went and saw the movie with Dan Telfer, laughed at. But that was just because it was, he just thought it was a ridiculous cutaway. It wasn't something that was supposed to be funny. Oh, sure. It was the moment where, uh, well, they have Superman in the, uh, you know, they've, they've, he's giving the interview to Lois Lane about who he is. She's like, what's the S stand for? Right. Right. Which you, when you saw that in the preview, you're like, no, Jesus, please, <laughs> no. Well, but, but then they but immediately that, cut to yeah. like them in the field standing next to each other. I know that, that, that was hilarious. Like, what? They're just staring at each other. Okay, <laughs> y'all bitches know each other. Uh, great, nice, nice jump cut. Exactly. Uh, well, that you know, that's such a weird thing too, is because you know what does the S stand for? Well, my planet stands for hope. Well, there wasn't a lot of hope in this movie, uh, and he certainly didn't. <laughs> he certainly didn't live up to the hope that he wears on his chest. Uh, he didn't show a lot of concern for saving people when the city was being demolished. Uh, there was no moment that you had in, uh, like you had in Superman two, where he's like, "What about the people?" and takes the fight away from the city. He didn't have that moment in this. They just demolish the city, and then they demolish Smallville. They demolish Smallville. They demolish Metropolis. At one point, I think he flies into a building full of people. Yeah. Yeah. That collapses. That collapses. Right. And at no point does he does he circle back and says, hang on, let me go save a few people. So, which then made it, 
it made the choice at the end of the movie even more bizarre because this wasn't a Superman that we've established goes out of his way to save and protect people. Well, even in that Smallville scene, I remember there was some there was something that had to in a helicopter and the guy a guy one guy fell out of the helicopter. Oh yeah, Superman went to save him. It's like you okay? And then everything else is exploding. It's like what? Yeah. Why don't you leave the city? Yeah. Why don't you leave Smallville? Yeah. Get away from your mom. Sheesh. Yeah. So that – there were just – there were things like that where I think that uh, really cool, spectacular explosions and shit blowing up and awesome fights took precedence over any logical character development, which, you know, made it a video game. Uh, now, there were, there were things that I should have really loved in here, like, release the world engine. What a great comic book. Jack, yeah, just a great Jack Kirby concept and just over-the-top absurdity of a world engine. That's yeah. phenomenal. And then it was a scary fucking thing. But no one was having fun with it. And there was no, you know, at some point, Michael Shannon's snarling just, you know, you just started to grow tired of it because it was a and that was a fucking snarl oh yeah i mean look he was a scary zod but terrence stamps zod was just as as terrifying even though there was a lot of comedy to it um there's a dry humor to it and i think there's something a little more terrifying about people who just sort of look normal and look at you in in superman 2 terrence stamps zod really did treat people like ants because he was so far removed from them, there was that almost detached. Oh, look, someone's bleeding. There was there was that sense, you know. Th- there's that great line when um, Ursa turns to uh, him and says, "He really cares for these people." And he's like, "Hmm, like pets." Yeah, yeah, you know, like pets. And it's again, it's funny, but it's also terrifying <laughs> because now they know. Okay, we can get to Superman through terrorizing just human beings exactly because they're like ants to us they don't they don't mean anything to us but they mean something to superman and that's how we'll get to them and in this movie you know shit's blowing up and and people are getting trapped in the rubble and and i mean who knows how many people died in you know the destruction of body count a body count yeah Yeah. who knows what that body count was but there in (laughs) there was never all it would have taken was just one one moment or one line from Superman be like, we have to protect the people. What about the people? Something. Well, isn't that in the beginning? I mean, the whole reason he gives himself up to Zod in the first place is sure. because he wants to, quote unquote, protect the Earth. Sure. We, but we're told. We're it's not, lip service. Yeah, yeah we're, we're given lip service to it. The same way we're given lip service to this idea of hope. But what we're shown in this movie is is something quite the opposite. Which brings me to... The big dramatic end. Yes. So after we've endured about two and a half hours of just utter, brutal destruction. Right. uh, Superman's faced with a choice where the only way out is to kill Zod, which became more and more inevitable. Right. Um, And he just, he snaps Zod's neck. Yeah. Brutally. In front of kids. In front of children. Uh, And then, then you know, he cries. He lets out a carnal scream. And, uh, yeah, that, look, there is precedent in the comic book, Superman. In post-crisis Superman lore, John Byrne, um, who rebooted Superman in the uh, mid to late 80s, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, I believe, Superman Volume Two, Issue Twenty Two. Um, his face was Zod, and at this point, it had been about two years of of establishing the new, uh, the new status quo for Superman and you know, his powers and his his philosophy and all these sorts of things. Uh, but it had been well established at that point that Superman doesn't kill. Superman is, um, you know, there's a line he won't cross, that he's all about protecting people, that he'll put the safety and well-being of others before his own. And when he's faced with the dilemma of, of Zod, he, he basically chooses to execute him by exposing him to kryptonite. Then he embarks on a self-imposed exile into space because he's crossed that line, and it's a whole other series of, right. uh, you know, it's another story arc of him trying to come to grips with what he's done and... You know, is he still? Can he still be Superman now that he's taken a life and all these sorts of things? But after this, in this movie, because I should get a job. He's like, yeah, well, I'm Superman and I'm here now. In this movie, this is an origin story movie, right? This is basically the first. So the world didn't know there was a Superman. The first time the world as a whole is really exposed to Superman is him basically committing genocide as he kills the only other Kryptonian left. Why would the Earth trust this this godlike being it's at from that Kansas. point? I'm about as American as it gets. I'm from Kansas. Oh, okay. Well, why are even bother with the secret identity at that point? Then why why even put on the glasses? Then you've you've just that's what I'm saying. There's no <laughs> this Superman doesn't need a secret identity. No, he's had no secret identity. He's just been some sort of mysterious yeti drifter drifter like the Bigfoot, where people are like, I think. Something happened here, yeah. But there's no, there's no element of that self protection and protecting those that he cares for, right? It's just kind of like he's out there, he's snapping necks, he's snapping necks. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, the, this godlike alien's gonna come down and just. Dist- and why would he not just kill in the future? Why would he not just put an end to all despots and <laughs> just go? Go after dictators and be like, "Oh, you're going to commit genocide? The, I'm going to stop you because I'm, I'm the authority." It's setting precedence. Yeah, the fr- I mean, like it's like like you said, this is a world where there has been no Superman. This is the first time they've ever heard of this guy, ever seen him, and the precedent that is set is if he's around, cities are going to get leveled, right, and people are going to die, right. Why? He hasn't established himself as any sort of savior or any sort of hero as much as some alien is here. Right. Now there's more aliens that want him, and they've destroyed half of Metropolis. They, they, they destroyed half of Metropolis and almost destroyed the entire planet. Almost destroyed the entire planet. And, they, put a, they put a thing that was shooting shit into the core of our planet. And, okay, great. Superman stopped that and then, and then snapped the main bad guy's neck in front of the world. And then everyone was like, hey, great. All right, well, I guess this happened now. Let's go about our business. I would never stop thinking there's got to be more of these motherfuckers out when, there. It, well, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because there have already been greenlit for a sequel. And yeah. there will be a third one in the trilogy. So I'm pretty sure this is going to be, you know, there was, there was an Easter egg when he gets thrown into a truck. It's a LexCorp yeah. truck. So, there's, a, there's, a, there's some LexCorp stuff so, in there. Uh, I'm guessing that's going to be the impetus for Lex Luthor. Of course. And, and his antagonism towards Superman to basically be like, hey, this alien came down here and destroyed the city and we have to stop him. Um, so, uh, you know, I get that that I get that they're kind of setting, I think, that up for right for down the line. But as a self-contained movie, you had two and a half hours to to show me what your philosophy is. 
and at the to, end of the, to set up the rules for this to world. set up the rules for this world and the rules you've set up for this world are terrifying uh bleak cynical and again okay the s on your you know you you you're giving lip service to these concepts that you're then not living up to so if his first statement to humanity is that the s on my chest stands for hope his first real act in the presence of humanity is to give in to the most hopeless of of actions and here's something else that i'm going to miss is the duality of lois lane mm -hmm. is the lois lane that knows clark kent and who that is as opposed to the lois lane that knows superman Right. She already knows Clark Kent is Superman. Right. It's going to be an act for everyone around them that she's pretending like this guy isn't fucking Superman. Yeah, and I, and again, I think that that's there. There is a there's an element that's missing. I I don't mind that as much as a as a different take on it. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can go to interesting places with it. Yeah. As as a as a as a Lois Clark couple. Right. Like Lois and Clark. Like Lois and Clark. But you do lose something fundamental to the fun of this world. And again, it seems like every choice that they make, that they made uh, in this movie, just took away some of the fun that you can have with playing that duality. See, and what's weird is that in, in talking to people I know that haven't seen this, that weren't interested in seeing it, when I tell them how dark it is, they're like, well, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. But they didn't want to see it because it sounded fun. Because they're, they, it's like they didn't want to see Superman in the first place because they're like, oh, it's going to be a cartoonish mess. And then when sure. I tell them it's this really dark, violent movie with a lot of psychological trauma and cynicism, yeah. they're like, what? Well, that doesn't sound fun. I'm like, well, that's – but you didn't want to see it because it sounded like it was going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, but again, that's that's like, do you, do you like hamburgers? No, I don't like hamburgers. Okay, well, this hamburger was like really – Violent uh, was it was very super violent, cynical, and super cynical. It oh, destroyed man. half of my stomach. That's I don't want that hamburger at all. <laughs> now I gotta eat it. Yeah, <laughs> I just gotta see what it's about. <laughs> well, I should I should try that hamburger. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it, I I still think that we uh, we still have a lot of psychological trauma from Joel Schumacher. I still sure. think that like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, people are still like, is that comic book movies? Yes, but it, you know that's look the the camp aside. You know, I mean, fucking, it's obvious that Christopher Nolan's already, he already took Batman to this other place. And that's fine. You the know, Marvel Universe is, I still think the Marvel Universe. But I look at the bat, look, I look at the balance of Iron, I thought Iron Man 3 was a very, was a dark movie. Yeah. But, but there was levity fun. and it was fun and it was a world in which I wanted to follow Tony Stark through this world as he navigated through it and tried to figure out how to, you know, win. Right. And I was rooting for him. I, I don't know that I was rooting for anyone in this world of Man of Steel because at no point did anyone give me a reason to root for them. And I'll go back to Superman 2. There's this great there's this great tension between um Superman you know, we're watching Superman try and beat the bad guys, and they come to a stalemate because there's three of them. They all have this power of Superman, and he can keep fighting them forever and ever. Right. And, you know, okay, maybe he's holding his own, but it's a stalemate. Right. And who knows how much destruction is going to be caused, and that's the, the realization he comes to, which is why he lures them away. This is a whole Solitude Fortress. Okay. Now, 
the 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 and this is another problem that I had with this man of steel. This man of steel in this movie was basically a super strong jock. He only had one solution to any problem and Fight. that's just punch the shit out of it. And they try to establish that he paid attention in school. Like there's that one scene right where he's where that those jocks are like fight yeah. and he has a book and he's reading right what is he reading i almost want to say it was like he was reading like ulysses or yeah, something yeah he's reading something that's clearly, he's reading a smart people book he's reading book. a smart people book he's so read, he's, he's reading the able, shorthand for smart people he's book. supposed to be able to use his freaking brain even though all we ever see is him using his fists right continue uh which again goes to they're telling us but <laughs> that's not what they're showing us and the more you have to tell us that he's like super smart but then don't he, show he, it at all. Then every decision he makes is kind of stupid. Uh, well, I'm going <laughs> to I guess I'll take your word for it that he's smart because all I've seen is a couple of really dumb decisions. Uh, but this Superman just punched things. There was there was no twist. There was no. Oh, he got them. He bested them because he's Superman. And maybe you maybe you wouldn't think of a way out of this dilemma. Maybe I couldn't figure out a way out of this. But he did because he's Superman. But instead, he just snapped Zod's neck. In Superman 2, when he lures him to the Fortress of Solitude, he has that great moment where, you know, his dilemma was he had given up his superpowers to be with Lois Lane. That was his happiness. Right. And then, because... Because there were no cell phones. <laughs> and then, you know, the Kryptonians wreak havoc on the Earth, and because he took a day off to get laid, uh, everything went to hell. And he's like, shit, I better become Superman again. <laughs> and then his, like, mom and his dad are like, I told you so. He's like, I got it. I get it. All right. And then they're like, okay, we're going to give you the last remnants of the energy of Krypton so you can become Superman again. And he's like, great. I feel guilty enough as it is. So then he's there, and he lures him to the Fortress of Solitude, and, he, and it's a great character moment because he's the one who goes to Lex Luthor, who he knows is going to betray him. Yeah, he tricks. Tells him about the chamber where he's going to lose his powers. Right. He goes in there. You know, that great moment when he steps out of the chamber. We've already seen Superman lose his powers. So right. Like, oh, he lost again. Yeah. Because he's trying to save humanity and he lost again. And he kneels before Zod. That great, quiet moment. Yeah. Of Christopher Reeve getting down Kneel. on his knees in front of Terrence Stamp. He says, now, finally, son of Jarell, kneel. And he grabs his hand on his knees. Crushes his hand. And then just starts squeezing. And you hear the you hear the crunch and those familiar strains of the John Williams March starts playing. Dun, 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 dun. And he stands up and flips him. And you're like, yeah! Fuck yeah! He tricked them! Because he's Superman! <laughs> Fucking A right! Take that! Kryptonian criminals! Yeah. And then he won. Zod, more like Sod on a field. Because fake boy. he tricked them. Because they... He outsmarted them. He outsmarted them. He used Lex Luthor. It's good writing. It's clever. It's he clever. got out of it. He figured a way out of it. Without using, without just using his fists. Without just punching his way out of it. Now, that's a Superman that I respect and, and root for. And it surprises me because it's just great uh, superheroism. I can, anyone can, can use their fist to smash your way out because if you're stronger, you're going to win. That's what, that's what punching shit is about. Now... I want to, but a real, but a real superhero, yeah. thinks his way out of the situation and comes up with the solution. Word, word. 
Before TiVo, watching TV was weirdly hard. You could only watch a show at a certain time. And if you missed it, or even part of it, you literally had to wait for it to go into reruns before you could see it again. TiVo totally changed all that. And while other DVRs still exist, they're not as sickalicious as TiVo. Because if you have cable, TiVo lets you watch your shows wherever you want. With TiVo Stream, you can watch on your iPad all over your house, and even transfer your favorite recordings and take them with you. On an airplane, waiting in line at the DMV, dentists, office. TiVo makes other DVRs look like they were designed by some Soviet committee. Only TiVo searches both cable and the web to find any movie, any show, any video at the press of a button. Netflix, Hulu Plus, Amazon, YouTube. Now those are just like more channels in your TV. And with the TiVo Mini, one TiVo box works on a second TV. From the couch to the kitchen, from the minivan to 35,000 feet, TiVo makes TV about a thousand times better. I think in general, too, the, uh, this particular version of Superman in The Man of Steel is very much a King James version of Superman, where uh, they, they sort of stripped it of nuance and multiple interpretations and complexity, and we're just like, nope, it's this, he punches things. And it's the Passion of the Christ, but Superman. Yeah, Just well, violence. no, well, <laughs> no. The Passion of the the Passion of the Superman was uh, Superman Returns, when fucking Kumar just beats the shit out of him for like thirty minutes, and then, and then he is dying of AIDS in the hospital for another thirty minutes. What? He just had like at the end when he just like has the kryptonite poisoning and he's just lying in a hospital bed for like twenty minutes of that movie, and it's just it's Superman Returns. Yeah, you don't remember that? No, because <laughs> you blocked it. First off, you spent more time with fucking Perry White's son's rescue plane than you did watching Superman do anything super awesome. Who played Perry White in that? Uh, I don't remember who played Perry White. I'll look it up. But anyway, you were saying... Oh, I do. Frank Langella. Oh, it was? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Frank Langella. uh, But obviously, Brian Singer was far more interested in James Marsden. Than anything else. Than anything else in that movie. But you were saying that uh, anyway, no, but the, I thought in The Man of Steel, this was very much, uh, and, and they just beat you over the head, too, with symbolism, where it wasn't even subtle. It was like, oh, look, Clark is walking into this church and talking to a priest, and who's that over his shoulder in the, in the window? Oh, yes, in the stained glass window. It's Jesus! Just in case you were unclear. Just in case you are unclear, Jesus, also from Krypton. We're doing <laughs> Jesus is from Krypton. Women are from Mars. <laughs> Oh, Lord. But, I, yeah, I wanted to get into a little bit more just kind of the general concept of what a hero is um, and what it is that people need from heroes. Benari, your thoughts. Or Joseph Campbell's thoughts. <laughs> well, I think, I'll, I think I'll let Joseph Campbell's work speak for itself. Uh, I You know, I think that it, I think it can be a complex thing. I think that there's something very uh, riveting about the hero's journey. Um, and I don't think there's just one. I think that, obviously, as Joseph Campbell has established, <laughs> established yeah. uh, is that there are many different types of hero- heroic journeys right? Um, and different types of heroism. Um, I think that, you know, to compare and contrast Superman and Batman, um, they're two different sides of, I think, an American ideal of heroism. Mm-hmm. Um, both, co- both springing from... A traumatic event. Batman springs from... uh, Batman is a very... uh, I would say... I mean, you you can apply Batman to like a post-9-11 type of tragedy. But but Batman's very much the the tragedy. The... um, 
I would say, like the trauma of the birth of America that comes from war and revolution and death and is built on uh, a foundation of supreme tragedy, but out of that tragedy comes a purpose and a mission and a fight and a struggle for a better future and the promise of never again. Right. Uh, and that's sort of Batman. That's the that's sort of Batman's Amer you know, the, and, and the nitty-gritty and the, and the reality of dealing with the world as it is. Superman is the American immigrant experience. Superman is the strange visitor from far away who comes here and has to work and learn about what it means to be an ideal American citizen and is always striving for that ideal and working to make a better tomorrow. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, that's sort of the, the, the contrast between those two. And I think anytime you try and make one the other, you lose something that's fundamentally important to each individual character. Mm. And Spider-Man? Spider-Man no, is... Just, <laughs> we can talk about Spider-Man too. <laughs> Spider-Man's with great power comes great responsibility. Right, right, right. It's just, it's always seemed the thing is that, like, the DC characters always... DC characters are, are much more, more... like Greek mythology. Absolutely. They are archetypes. They are, they, are, they are the archetypes. And then the DC... And then Marvel seems to... They are a little bit more post, post-Victorian, post-Freudian... Like, I feel like, like, Incredible Hulk is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sure, absolutely. But uh, Marvel are heroes with, a, with, uh, heroes with feet of clay. They're, they are heroes who learn to become heroes. Their circumstances force them into heroism, and it's their strength of their own character and their own uh, hero's journey that their journey ends with them learning what it really means to be a hero. In DC, like you were saying, it's it's like the Greek pantheon. They're 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 already here. We are Superman's a fact. We're a fact. We're facts. Right. We're heroes, and now we're going to do all these heroic things. Except with Batman. Well, Batman, Batman's, but Batman is still a lot of what we think of Batman today is mostly backstory. But like by the time Batman's Batman, he's already gone through that journey. Right. And he's like, no, I'm Batman. I operate. I operate this way because of this backstory, which you all find fascinating and riveting. We, well, because it's so human. Right. And that's why he's always so much more translatable to whatever era he's in. But when Batman first appeared, like, and it was, it, we never even got into the backstory that much. It was just, oh, he's a guy, you know, wealthy, uh, wealthy. Uh, it was a combination. It, it was a wealthy millionaire playboy. Who combination of the shadow and the phantom. Yes, and and a little Zorro thrown in there. Oh, Zorro. His name is Zorro. But yeah, okay. So, yeah, I just think that, like, uh, you know, we can be heroes. Just, just for just one for day. Just for one day. One day. You know, wah, 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 what wah, is, wah, what wah. Did, But what does heroism mean to you, Baron? Oh, Jesus. Baron Vaughn. I'm not the one that, you're, I'm the one who asks the questions here. <laughs> oh, okay. Mr. Polton. All right. Okay. Let me. You're out of order. Let me be this whole Porter. <laughs> this whole Porton's out of order. Um, I, I think that it's like, well, I look to, and you know what? What's his name? Tom Hiddleston, mm-hmm. right? The guy who played Loki right. in Avengers and Thor movies, um, said something about those super, about superhero movies in terms of how re- how relatable they are, and how it's like Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and how uh, it's about life or death situations. He's like, it's it's the the circumstances are gigantic, mm-hmm. you know. 
life and death, existence, extinction, planetary ruin. Right. But it's about brothers. Right. It's a story about brothers. It's a story about two brothers. And it's a story about fathers and sons. And fathers and sons. And, you know, mothers and daughters. Right. It's like that's what it comes down to. That's at the core of all of those stories. Absolutely. And I think that they were really working hard in Man of Steel to, to touch on, okay, that... Superman has two fathers, and he's got two mothers, and what are the different lessons they're imparting yeah, to him? he's got a stepdad. Um, Step family. Well, no, he's got an adopted family. That's um, what I mean. Foster child. Uh, but, ultimate orphan. But they're equally, you know, I think they're equally important. The lessons that they... He's they, like a super orphan. He's a super orphan. <laughs> um, and he learns his lessons from his adopted parents, but he has, he has, uh, it's nature of Versus nurture. nurture. He has the DNA. He has the DNA. In this movie, literally, he literally has the DNA, the DNA of all of Krypton. Uh, just, the more you say it out loud, it's, the more you say it out loud, the more ridiculous it is that they went so serious with this movie. Because they had all the elements of just a really good... They could have just had so much more fun with it. And it's weird to be saying, why so serious? But, I mean, even the Joker in Dark Knight had funny moments in the midst of, of his terrifying performance. Well, he know, was he was also profoundly funny because you know there there were because because that world had to be lightened up. One of my one of my great theater teachers, who God rest his soul, James Spruill was his name. One of his biggest notes was where is the love? It was either where is the love. Or where the, is your he, character's sense of humor? And he, he wrote for the Black Eyed Peas. Yes, and he wrote for the Black <laughs> But it's just kind of like, people get so caught up in the right. severity, the earnestness of a moment. Right. That they forget to... It, there's something that might be funny yeah. in it. There's, you know, there's, there's something... Like, people are so like, I gotta convince and, and convince and convince. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's your character's sense of humor? Right. The, especially with drama. It's just kind of like, Death of a Salesman has got jokes in it. Death of a Salesman has jokes in it because you can't just watch Death of a Salesman without any sort of humor because then you don't know that these people are fucking people unless right. they have a sense of humor. And I think that's another thing with Man of Steel. In their attempt to make Superman so relatable, this was the most alien interpretation of Superman that I've seen on the screen. Even more so than creepy, deadbeat, dad, date rapist, spying, midlife crisis Superman of Superman Returns. Like, that's at least, I don't like that interpretation, but that's at least still something that... because it's a Superman and... It's a Superman, it's an origin story told in the world of now, where we've seen all these alien movies. Now the audience has this expectation of like, oh, there's all these gigantic implications. Right. But just kind of like, he's an alien. We're more concerned about that and the fact that he looks like us. Right. You know what I mean? The alien's white? Weird. You know, it's, uh... It's, again, I think, in some ways, as imaginative and as beautiful as this movie looked, mm -hmm. there was an underlying lack of imagination in how they, uh, you know, how they sold it to the general public. Right. And again, I, I keep coming back to, it's cynical. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think at its heart, it thought very much <laughs> of humanity. Well, you know, it's interesting, um... To get back to your question, what do I think is a hero? I saw Sean Conroy last night mm -hmm. to stand up, and uh, he had a bit 
about superheroes, but it was, he said that, like, a superhero doesn't have to have powers. Right. You know, he's like, he's like, sometimes you might be at a parking garage where you had to take a ticket to get into the garage, and as you're coming out, for some reason, the ticket isn't reading, even though you've paid, and you've put it in the damn machine, and the, the freaking gate isn't opening, and you're like, what? And you're pushing the button to get someone to come for help. Meanwhile, cars are starting to pile up behind you. They're all honking at you saying, push the button to get someone help. He's like, I already did that. He's like, but then the lane next to you, there might be an elderly guy in a suit and tie on a Harley Davidson that, that drives around the gate and gives you his ticket and say, take mine. <laughs> take my ticket. He's like, that man's a goddamn superhero. Yeah, because he solved a problem. He solved the problem. Now, in a creative way that no one else thought of. And that's what a hero, that's what a hero is, I guess, to me, is that these are people, people who figure out ways to solve problems, to actively change the world. Change the world in a gigantic sense, in a literal, like, no, but as a great Buddhist teacher once said, you don't have to save the world, but you can try to save one corner of it. Right, and for me, you know... As, as most things do, it always comes back to Tikkun Olam. What's that? I don't know what that is. Tikkun Olam okay. is... Uh, is, Matata. is uh, Wait, say it again. Tikkun Olam is Jew for uh, <laughs> heal the world. Uh, yeah. No, it's, just, it's a concept of you, you, you change the world, you heal the world, you make the world better through acts of kindness, through acts of good deeds, through good deeds. And by doing so, you, you can change your corner of the world. And if everyone does that in set, their corner of the you world, you set an example. You set an example, and I think that, uh, and that's what it is. Is like heroes, heroes set an example, set a precedent to and, be followed, and and no hero more so than Superman. And in this movie, the precedent he sets is, I'll snap a motherfucker's neck. Yeah, and and I think that that's the troubling thing that I came away came away from this movie with was that people were okay with that. That people were that I, I think it, it's gotten pretty positive reviews from audiences. Uh, it made a lot of money. They're you know it's gonna it's gener- it's already generated sequels. Uh, so everyone's sort of on board with this. And well, it's but it's but it's what it is is I I see it and I look at it and I say something very profound and important has been lost culturally, and most of the people today don't even realize that it's missing. And how do you explain to someone that something some, that they didn't know something they didn't even know was there? Well, and I, and I feel like it's ironic too because with Christopher Nolan's involvement in the Superman movie that I feel like with the Dark Knight trilogy he pulled it off. Of course, Dark Knight Rises has problems, but that's not the movie he wanted to make because he wasn't expecting but that's, but he's that's, to die. Right. But, but that's still, aside. the idea of Batman. Yeah. They're very clear about Batman could be anybody. It, it's an example to follow and as to bleak, stand up for yourself. As bleak as those movies were, Batman figured out a way to win in the end. And there were some surprises. And, you know, you thought you were going down one path and then he surprised you with, with his solution. And so I think that that was, you know, again, again, you, you had a movie with a hero facing a very difficult dilemma and he came up with, you know, at, in, in Dark Knight he comes up with some troubling ways to solve the problem mm-hmm. but Batman wouldn't kill Batman you know, that was his showdown with the Joker was basically the Joker kept trying to force him into situations in which he was forced to kill the Joker right. and he refused that was his victory and 
you know, in this, there was no, there was no creativity on Superman's part, certainly, uh, where, and that's, well, that's, it's, that's, so that's weird, that's, it's like you, because of Batman's circumstances, his ideology, his, mm-hmm. re- his philosophy was revealed. Right. And in Superman, they spent so much time trying to establish an ideology, establish a philosophy, you never got to see it in practice. Well, and, and really, what are superheroes if not a, a fantasy? Uh, a, a fantasy of justice and thoughts put into action. The thoughts of doing something put into action. They are physical manifestations of trying to do the right thing in various different forms. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know really what, what superheroes are. They are thoughts in action. You ever heard about the uh, my friend Mandy? Hey, Mandy used to work for this guy named Nicholas Christakis, mm-hmm. who's a professor at Harvard. He is a uh, sociologist, uh, a doctor in sociology, and an actual medical doctor as well. Also a doctor. Yes. Well, but just like it's a different, obviously it's a different field. But he's a doctor that can make you not sick, and then he's also a doctor that studies culture. He's a doctor doctor. He's a doctor's doctor. <laughs> Like doc, like if he was doing like a speech at doctors, the doctors in the back of the room would be like, ha, ha, ha. They'd be like that guy. He's a doctor. But all doctor. the non-doctors would be like, I don't get this. Uh, he's he's operating the totally he's different level. He's a doctor's level. doctor. He's playing to the back of the operating room. So he has written this book called Connected, mm-hmm. which which when it came out, Mandy sent me the New York Times article that uh, that was about the book. I haven't read the book. I still want to read the book. Mandy now. Ha, is is uh, there's certain things about him or his some of his findings that she has more of a problem with, mm-hmm. but she still believes in like the tenets of this book. Sure. And what's hilarious about the article is when they talk about his critics, the other doctors, they're like, "Dude, I totally agree with him. I right. agree, but I do not think he has proved it with this evidence." Okay. It's like the hypothesis he has sought. He's still solid, which I believe in. I do not think that this is enough. His facts don't. His facts don't support it. To support it. Now, here's the thing. This is what he is. This he was trying to put actual uh, equations and algorithm to our actions affect others, right? Right. He found this heart study in Framingham, I believe it was, somewhere in Massachusetts. I think it was Framingham. Now, it was some sort of weird government thing in which. This group of friends had regular checkups um, from the 70s to now. And not only did they have these checkups, but they were asked to name who their friends were. Which, every medical, anytime you have an appointment with a doctor, they look at your family history. Right. They look at your blood relations for possible signs of maybe you got this, maybe you're this, maybe you're prone to that. But never do they ask you, who do you, who are the people that you that aren't blood related to you that you find important in your life, hmm. right? So through that study is where he started to piece together um, this relationship between friends and health, friendship and health. Okay, and he created a flowchart about your behavior affects other people. It's like if you smoke cigarettes, right? Someone that knows you is 33% more likely to smoke. Well, that's the whole concept of peer pressure. And someone who knows someone that knows you is 11% more likely to smoke. 
right? If you quit, same thing. But there's also the element of, he, he, I think he calls it like the alpha connector, because so-and-so might, you, they might find you, consider you a better friend than you consider them. So your actions are even more likely to affect them than their actions are to affect you. Right. You know, there's always the person that we admire that they don't necessarily admire us in the same way. They admire someone else that might admire us. There's that, that circle we don't know, really. But we assign people meaning. So whoever you have assigned the most meaning affects you the most. Right? Sure. So an example was this one woman, all her friends smoked, and then little by little, they stopped. And she just said that she quit smoking mainly because she just felt silly now. She was the only person in her group of friends that was going outside in the winter to smoke cigarettes. Massachusetts winter. Right. To smoke cigarettes. And she's like, you know what? This is stupid now. And then she stopped. Because everybody, she was the last person. Right? She was the... <laughs> she, no one, there was no one around to make her feel... It was no longer that... I was smoking with a group of friends. We're all outside having cigarettes, still continuing our conversation. Right. Now I'm leaving the conversation. I'm leaving the group to go do this thing that no one else in the group does. It doesn't know. It no longer makes sense to do this. But it raises a bunch of questions. There was uh, some apparently another study at a high school that was that's undergoing that has a similar bent to it. So he's taken these two things and looking at the medical records of all the people involved to kind of create this flow chart of how things work. Right, and thus. He, he apparently created a program in which he accurately predicted the instance of obesity in America. Okay. That he kind of like created... He didn't just have to look at fat people? He basically went to the 70s... Like, man, these, these people are a lot fatter now. A lot fatter, <laughs> but he kind of backtracked it to the 70s in where he kind of said, well, this, it kind of happened in this area... So it, may, it started happening in this area, and he created this chart of the United States in which, he is, in which he, through his equation, accurately shows, as it is now, the majority of obesity and age of the people who are obese. Okay. Right? So it's supposed to, this research is supposed to blow apart the obesity debate and be like, ha-ha, we can instigate programs in these particular places that will change the behavior of these particular people that has this, God forbid me using this expression, trickle-down effect. Right. Right? Now, we, we prefer to call it pay it forward now. But it also, it, 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 it manifests itself emotionally. It manifests itself psychologically. Because the psychological aspect affects you physically. You know? Yeah. If, Mark Maron used to have a joke, I remember this from from whatever the fuck I was watching, two drink minimum or whatever the fuck it was. You're driving down the street, some guy cuts you off, and you're like, what the fuck is that guy's problem, right? And you go to work. And then you, right. And then you're as shitty to someone else at it work. It ends with like kicking the dog. And then like, that person goes home and is an asshole to their fucking wife or their husband, right. who's an asshole to their kid. Kid kicks the dog, and it's just fucking, somehow this all ends up in the Middle East. Right. Is what I'm trying right. to say. So it's like, it's that idea. But it is the idea that your behavior, not just well, it's a, conceptually it's, affects others. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's a, a domino effect. It's a domino effect, but he's trying to say there is a literal, physical component to your actions affect others. Right. Well, that's, I mean, there, it's a ripple effect. You've done something, and that's changed. It's a, it, I mean, look, uh, 
uh, President Obama just made his climate, spe- uh, his climate change speech today about we have to do something about climate change and Congress won't act, so he's making an executive decision. Did you hear about the weird IKEA thing? Uh, which tell the speech and I'll, I'll bring uh, up the page. But uh, anyway, so he, you know, he's he's making an executive decision to do something about climate change. He was using, you know, science and physics and 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 talking about like this is a fact. We mm-hmm. there's no more debate about it. The climate has been changed, and we can. The debate is really we, how we, we can make money off of this. We can and should do something about it. Right. What always surprised me about the climate change debate, in quotes, um, is not so much that there's a debate over, like, how did this happen, but the fact that people don't... (laughs) People who believe so much in American individuality and uh, we could do anything we set our minds to, and then you say, hey, your actions have actually... Affected have, have, affected, have yeah. actually affected the world. No, 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 that's impossible. We can't, we can't affect the weather. Uh, it's like, no, no, we like we've accelerated carbon use. We've we've doubled and tripled carbon output. Right. So that's probably going to have a, an effect. We don't. We can debate the extent of that effect. That's fine. We can debate but, the extent of it. But, but you it have is, to. We, is having an effect. We have to be able to start from a place of our actions have had an effect. Our, just the fact that we're here mm-hmm. has changed things. I mean, that's the whole, you know, scientists that create biodomes and study this shit in nature because when you add anything to an ecosystem, it changes the ecosystem. Right. Any any variable is going to change the ecosystem. Well, well, it's it's the same with human beings. And we create waste. Massive amounts of waste. Where do we put that waste? Right. Some of the waste is not just... It's it's gaseous waste that's going up and breaking shit down. We continue what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, but I think that's it. I think that we have to that every aspect of our lives sort of drives home that point. Is you're here. It doesn't matter how insignificant you feel in the in the larger scheme of things. Just the fact that you're here has changed something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, ta- you know, it's the it's it's a wonderful life theory. You take George Bailey out of that, everything is, that whole world has changed. And I think that, in a way, the lesson, uh, the humanity that is revealed to Superman is, everyone feels so insignificant. Right. Everyone feels like their actions mean nothing. And they're afraid. And then it's true, because after, like, wide-scale destruction and trauma, they just go back to status quo, like, okay, guess what? The world didn't change. Everyone was so afraid that he was going to change the world, and then the worst thing that could happen happened, and then that world at the end that we saw... We're so wanted to get back to, but myself... All they wanted to do was get back to normal. So why was everyone so afraid in the first place? This is from the Daily Coast. Massive paradigm upheaval and power production is happening right now. IKEA recently announced its plans to be a net producer of electricity by 2020, using solar and wind power to produce electricity over and above what the company uses. They've already committed $1.8 billion to the goal. This is just seven years from now. Walmart also has similar plans for the future. Apple, too. Many other companies, too. A consortium of 33 companies came together to sign a climate change declaration to call on the U.S. to move toward meaningful climate change policy. Levi's, L'Oreal, Intel, Unilever, North Face. And many of these companies are also putting money into ramping up their own power production from renewable energy. And, well, I mean, there you go. That That's going to... Uh, that will... 
and General Motors even. But that will that will create actual change because the largest consumers of energy are going to become are, producers are, of energy, of clean energy at that. Well, as as soon as everyone figured out a way to make money off of it, that's when we can get real lasting change. So, exactly. You know, hey, thankfully, rich people can get richer. So I guess the thing is, a real hero to me is a person that figures out how to convince other people they're going to make money from doing things that are good. Well, that's the lesson you've taken away. Yep. Well, that's uh, that's uh, that's sadder than uh, Man of Steel. Nope. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs>